Welcome. My name is Rachel Amaday, and you are listening to the Spiritual Exercises Podcast. This is a podcast where we dig deeper into scripture. We look for meaning that we can apply to our modern lifestyles, to our modern lives, to the politics that we see happening around us. And we also look just for the deeper meaning of scripture. What is God actually saying? What was he actually doing? Who Jesus really was? And how can we apply this. You know, I was listening to a sermon today. It was super convicting for me. And I thought, boy, I think everybody needs to hear this a little bit every once in a while. And this young man was talking about how if you've met Jesus, if you know him and you read the Bible and you're trying to spend time in prayer and you're trying to pursue Jesus, but your life hasn't changed, your sins haven't changed in like the last decade, something is very wrong. Because Jesus loves you right where you are, but he does not intend to leave you right where you are. You are supposed to be coming more like Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that it is a double-edged sword. It is sharp enough to cut tiny, tiny portions of things off of, like, what does it say, sinew off of bone, basically. It is so sharp and it is so precise. And God can use scripture in a precise way, to leave the beautiful parts of you that he created and designed to be part of you, but to cut away the sin from your life. So here's the big challenge. How are you gonna take what you know about the Lord this next week and actually apply it to start changing those sins, those things that you still are doing that God has said, stop, right? God wants you to change, but it takes intentionality. And sometimes it just takes that little push. And so I heard the sermon today and I thought, I know exactly what I'm going to be working on in the next few weeks. I know it. So for me, I've got my to-do list and I'm excited to get started on it. But I have, I will tell you, I have noticed by the grace of God and praise God, I am not the same person I was five years ago. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. Because the Lord God Almighty has come in since I recommitted my life to him, and he has changed things dramatically. I'm different today because of my relationship with God. That's how it should be. And that is the testimony we should have. And so I encourage you this week to start taking on those sins in your life that have been too much of a struggle, that have seemed too difficult. Say, no, nothing is too difficult for my God. The Holy Spirit resides with me and in me. I can do this with the help of my Savior because you can. He already paid the price for you to be able to be free from sin. It's time to go ahead and get that taken care of. And sometimes it's a sin of omission. For some people, they're greedy and they're not giving when they're supposed to. Okay. You're just withholding good from other people. You're not necessarily doing something overtly wrong. You're just withholding the way that God wants you to give. You're withholding from the Lord and you're withholding from others. That's also wrong. You need to stop worshiping money, right? Um, Sins of omission. You're supposed to be leading and guiding your children, but every day you refuse to find the time. No, that's wrong. You are called to be a great parent first and foremost. Find the time. God has called you to that. Parental uh, instruction, there's no replacement for that in scripture. 
It's very important. So I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what it is, but ask the Lord and then get to work. I'm going to do it with you. Um, This week, I wanted to talk about the identity wars. I am so concerned that culturally believers are consistently losing the identity wars, and we should not be. This should be a no-brainer. And what, about, what I mean by identity wars is I people have to identify as all sorts of things right now, right? We've got we've got gender identity, you know, being pushed and pushed and pushed, but we've got other identity issues as well. We have um issues regarding pride. Like I'm I'm so great. I don't need anybody's help. I'm the best thing that ever happened. I, you know, I'm perfect as I am. We've got a lot of that stuff going on in culture where it's just like just accept me for me. But you know, it's an it's a weird, you know. I'm a victim, but I'm also the greatest. It's this weird, you know, vague message that doesn't really make any sense and certainly is not empowering. There's no change. You know, I just talked about change. Change your life. Become more like Christ. None of that being encouraged. No, whatever you feel like today, you're the greatest, right? You're, you've got it made. Um, but there is nothing better than the identity that God has given us. And it's not an identity that says, I have to be God, because we all know we're not. The problem with the I'm perfect identity and I don't need to change is that internally you know it's a lie. And so not only are you lying to others, but every time you push that as an identity, you're lying to yourself and you start to not trust yourself you start, I mean, this takes you down a really dark path, one where you think you can be your own savior. You cannot, you can't do this. That is not a good identity. I also want to talk about why do Christians constantly push the identity of being broken? You've met Jesus and you're all, you're always out there telling people how broken you are all the time. And it's like, I'm not sure that's the right term. I, I don't think broken is the term that needs to be used. I am sinful. That's more specific and it's accurate. But it's the difference to me between guilt and shame. You know, I'm broken is shame. I'm broken is there's nothing about me that's good. I'm unlovable. I'm unfixable. The whole of me is awful. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God doesn't make bad things. He can't. The Bible says he is love. He literally is the definition of love. Love does not create bad things. God's plans, which are love, are all good. His will, which is love, is 100% good. There is not one thing that God puts into motion that is bad. So when you claim, I'm broken, I'm bad, it's a lie. Now, I'm a sinner. You know what that says? Hey, I do specific things that are offensive to God and harmful and hurtful to the kingdom of heaven and to people. And I know it. And so I am pinpointing where that's happening. And in order to become more like Christ, I am going to fight against that uh, first Adam, right? I'm going to fight against that first person that I was born into, And I'm going to try to live according to the Spirit. What I was reborn into when I was told I'm a new creation, I am made new, I have a new life, God meant it. He wasn't lying. You went from death to life. You went from darkness to light. 
You became one of God's children. God cleaned you up. He poured oil over your head. He put on a white robe of righteousness for you. And then you take all that and you go out and you cover yourself in ashes and tell everybody you're broken. Sorry. No. No. When you are a child of God, God wants to restore you to the status that you are supposed to have. You're not awful. You do things that are awful. But even that, God wants to change in you. He wants to free you from that behavior. So we have to change our, we have to, we, we need to start winning the identity wars. So let's start with scripture today. John 1, 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Child of God, that identity, that's a winner right there, right? Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. His will is for people to come into his family. That's what he wants. The Bible says God wills that none should perish. His will is that nobody perishes. He wants everybody to come into his kingdom. Colossians 2.10, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Well, if you're telling people you're broken, that is the opposite of fullness, is it not? Shalom in Hebrew means wholeness. You cannot say God has given me his shalom, his wholeness, his peace. And then on the other hand, call yourself broken all the time. Because you do know wholeness and brokenness are in opposition to each other. <laughs> Those two things don't go together. When you're in the Father's hands, you're not broken anymore. You are being made. And that is a beautiful promise. Romans 6, 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Whew. Your old Adam, that first self, was crucified with Christ. That body ruled by sin can be done away with. It's gone. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. When you say, I am a chosen person, I am part of a royal priesthood, I am part of a holy nation, I am God's special possession, isn't that more psychologically sound than claiming your brokenness? You know, any psychologist is going to tell you, if you say you're a horrible person, you're probably going to behave like one. But when you say, I am God's special possession, you want to rise to that occasion, right? Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We're going to look at this in contrast Honoring God with your body in contrast to the world's offer of identity, which is all about bodies. It's only about bodies and using your body in opposition to God's commands, which gives you a totally different identity, doesn't it? 
1 John 3, 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Psalm 139, 13-15, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, David knew it. God's works are always wonderful. God knits people together in their mother's wombs. God knows. He knows people and he loves them. People are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's all God can do because that's his character. The Bible offers likeness to the God of all, the great creator, the one who sacrifices unparalleled in human history, and the one who priest and philosopher alike has quoted to bring wisdom and light to all of humanity. We are temples, God's children, the light of the world, formed with meaning. There is nothing random about each individual human and the formation of each human being. It is a partnership between two people and God, the final author of the final form of each precious human soul and body. When we think about our identity, it lies far beyond just a physical feature. And yet our bodies are integrated into each soul-affecting experience as well. But we're not just creatures of sexual or physical habit. We're not just genders walking around without other characteristics attached. We are far more than our collection of narcissistic identities and untamed urges. Our choice to be bound by instinct or disciplined into freedom is ours. In Yeshua, we are freed from the cage of identities found in progressive propaganda-laden boxes. In short, our potential is divine. We don't always choose our elevated status, but our identity in Scripture leaves no doubt. But is our reality reflective of that? In the identity wars, this level of wholeness threatens the very brokenness that the church wants to promote. It opposes the narrow-mindedness of sexual and gender identity structures, and it offends those who would wish their downfalls to continually suffice as identities. To be made to be like God means the end intention for you is that you glow and glisten. You are humble, kind, meek, strong, virtuous, and filled full of meaning and purpose. Your body, mind, and spirit all align to benefit a kingdom greater than yourself the one you have inside yourself, according to the word. Yet in churches Sunday after Sunday, brokenness will be celebrated. Where Christ says we are whole, his children, beautiful and robed in righteousness, we say we are ugly, unimportant, and incapable of good. I'm just a broken person is a commonly used phrase among the followers of Christ and on stages filled with well-meaning teachers. But you met Jesus, the author of all, and he somehow leaves you broken? And in culture, it's far worse. We are bombarded with messaging about people's insides not matching their God-created outsides. Someone made a mistake somewhere. Nature or God or something just didn't create correctly. Someone's soul was stuck into the wrong edifice, and to fix it requires costly surgeries, drugs, and therapies. Identities shifting and hiding behind mutilations and big pharma money-making schemes. Surely that new hormone synthetic pill can make you feel more like yourself. Your Eunice is missing without the high-powered executives at drug companies pushing the current in product. Cultural identity is about who you have sex with and which very niche behaviors you tend to enjoy. 
There's so much about you and each tiny detailed shifting, changing emotion, every decision founded on a feeling, and every definition based upon your current position and culture. You can only be defined by what you see, by which gender stereotypes you feel most attached to, and which humans you find most attractive. But I have to say, by definition, this reduces the human to pure instinctual behavior. This is beast-like, not divine. The animal instinct of sexuality and emotional fancy is now in control, the one that cannot reason or discipline itself. And this is how culture would like to define the divine human being. Cisgendered, white, birthing person, bisexual, black, male, It's almost as if we're different models of computers. Choose your color, what drives your behavior, and what you do well, and voila, identity, packaged as neatly as a product in the Apple store. Now we know you. We know everything we need to know about you. We can peg you as a product. We can promote to you as a consumer, and we can control you because everyone that is not like you is something to be afraid of. Everyone who thinks you are more than your color and gender could be a threat to your very existence. Without an identity in a greater being, you can define yourself however you please. You can push sexual identity onto children. You can overlook human trafficking. You can decide that some people really do deserve to be locked up for differing ideas. They must be malfunctioning after all. And here is where we come to the great problem. Identity can dictate the future of humanity. Where no God exists, human value and values decline. When we don't believe something greater has formed us for a reason, we lose all reason. We lose virtue. Everything is perfunctory. Our very existence becomes meaningless. So what? Identify as a cat, a deer, your race, your gender. The only place where your uniqueness is gratified is in socially constructed checkboxes. And when you don't want to use those checkboxes, you become expendable. But to God... Male and female and human are the simple standards that help us understand how life is produced. And God loves life. Attempting to redefine his path for life has not produced anything but death. You cannot have children without a man and a woman. And you certainly can't if a deer is in the mix. But your identity is far beyond your sexual and gender identification. Yes, mother and father are also identities that bring meaning and substance to our existence. But what else? Child of God is the ultimate identifier. It speaks to an eternal existence and a royal being. It speaks to discipline and honor and health and spiritual fullness. It calls you to something higher. Instead of appealing to your instinctual nature alone, instead of making a human into an animal, the human is elevated to its original intention. A high priest, a keeper of a great deed, one able to produce life in every place he or she touches. In the identity wars, the Bible wins, hands down. We should act like it, not just to save our culture, but to preserve God's definition of humanity, to preserve life itself. I hope this is a reminder to you that God has defined you as magnificent when you are aligned with him. But when we lose in these identity wars, when we consistently tell other people that we're broken all the time, and in the meantime, the culture that really is broken, the culture that really is offering death, the culture that really is trying to break people's spirits is saying, hey, it's pretty amazing over here in all of this garbage. We 
are not doing our jobs. God did not take you into his kingdom and hold you close to his heart so that you could stay broken. Our testimony has to change, especially now. We've got to be the light, and we have to say that once we were lost, but now we are found. Once we were blind, but now we can see. Because the God of all things has called us his children. That doesn't mean we won't sin. It means we decide to use language properly. You know, when when Paul says, you know, my, my works are like dirty rags, next to Christ, right, next to what God has done, that doesn't mean that he believes he's a worthless piece of garbage. That doesn't mean he's saying he's broken. He's saying compared to Christ, I can't do anything. I can't save myself, right? I can't make uh, myself into a perfect being. I need the help of God. Everything I do is nothing compared to the Lord. That's true if you're looking at a scale, You're on one end and Christ is on the other, right? And you're slowly, hopefully plodding in that direction. But without the Lord, nothing you do is going to be valuable. And by the way, you could do everything right and you still wouldn't be saved because there's no route to salvation in works. It doesn't exist in the Bible. There was no way to be saved by being perfect. That didn't exist. Salvation always had to come through Christ. But Paul was not saying that you should call yourself horrible. If you have met Christ, there's nothing horrible that's supposed to be living inside you. If you are in process and in progress towards becoming like your Savior, you are being built. When we build a table, we don't call it awful. We call it being built, right? It's being made. We can see its potential. We hold it near and dear. I really believe that this is the journey of the Christian. And I know people, they don't mean mean bad when they get up and they say, I'm just a broken person like all the rest of you. They don't mean to do psychological damage, but it isn't the message of scripture and it is psychologically damaging. It's also da- damaging to our testimony. My testimony is 10 years ago, I was living in darkness and now God has done such a work in my life. I don't feel that way anymore. I don't live like that anymore. My life is more beautiful and what I'm able to do with it and what I'm able to produce out of it is better. It's not perfect, but it's better. I don't want to claim brokenness. I want to claim the status God has given me as his child, as the one that he wants to have by his side when all things are said and done. That's the status I want to claim. And it is psychologically sound to do so. We have got to have a better message than the culture. We have got to have a better identity in Christ than what the culture is offering because the culture, what they're offering is hurting people. People are hurting. People need help. People need to be loved on and seen and and adored. So this is my message this week. I hope you think on it. You know, if you have a different view, I'd love to hear it. And I understand the different views, man. I've been a Christian. You know, I've been in churches my whole life. I really have been. But I know the difference between believing that you're awful, I know what that looks like, and believing that you're a child of God, I'm starting to understand what that's like. And they are two different experiences. Let me tell you that. By God's grace, right? By his merciful work. All right, I love you guys. I'm gonna pray at the end of today. I think we need to pray more. I've had a lot of word and work in my life in the last couple of weeks regarding prayer as well. Um, please pray, pray all the time, you know, be constantly in prayer. Um, 
But if we do it together, we always know God's in our midst, right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you are the king, you are the author, you are the creator, you are the one who has the right to define who we are. You have made us who we are for a reason. You have given each human being their individual gifts and talents. And God, you also know where we feel like we are lacking and in need. And God, you desire to fill those places fullness and full of meaning and purpose. God, your desire is to make your people whole, to give us your shalom, your wholeness. Father, I pray that we open our hearts up to that. I pray that the people who are hurting, Lord God, that right now you would speak to them. I pray for the believers who don't feel worthy would be reminded it's not about their worthiness. It's about your worthiness, God. And we love you. Amen.